Hello everyone, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson, and I'm the Grumpy Surfer. Well, in light of this week's International Women's Day, my guest this week is a Roger Gracie black belt. She also is a yoga instructor. She produces personal training programs for people to do at home and a nutritionist. But her background was in hospitality. She decided to ditch that and follow a dream of being a martial arts instructor and a personal trainer. So, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with a very inspirational lady, Joanna Zebrinovich. Joanna Zobrinovich, welcome to the podcast. I said that right, didn't I? Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. Three questions. First one is, how are you? Second one is, where are you? And the third one is, have you trained today? Oh, wow. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm very well today. Thank you. I'm just outside of London. Um, and I have not trained yet. If, if yoga counts, then I have trained. Uh, if you're talking about jujitsu, I haven't done jujitsu today. Any form of training to training, right? A bit of mobility, a bit of stretching. It's all good for you, right? Absolutely. So I did an hour. You, you've only just started doing yoga recently, haven't you? Is that right? I've been doing it for a while. I actually started. Okay. Uh, first time I started, well, I was a purple belt suffering from an injury. That's why how I got into it. But I actually started going more to, into depth with yoga about mm, two and a half years ago. How do you find that? Because I, I suffer uh, through surfing and in jiu-jitsu as well um, with, with lower back issues. And I, uh, I find my attention span trying to hold a full class quite, quite taxing. So uh, over the lockdown period, I basically just went on to YouTube and did a few follows of uh, a few sequences and then just took the best bits and just made my own thing up, really. That's all I did. Absolutely. No, that's the right thing to do. I guess um, a group session, it's difficult to tailor to individuals because we're all suffering from different kinks you know different injuries and problem problem areas so it is quite difficult to design a class that would suit all people uh, if you're in a group session say a virgin active <laughs> um, they have all the different levels from beginners to advanced so um, it really does help to understand your body so understand the mechanics of the body and you know which areas you want to actually trigger um, or you want to you know relax in your practice so getting to know more about yoga will actually help you to go into the right pose and find the flows that will work for you another thing uh, that i find extremely interesting is the different types of yogas different styles and uh, the different teachers as well so i find some teachers i can absolutely cannot listen to whilst others i absolutely adore and love they're my like number one teachers that i always follow and i love their routine so I think you have to gear it towards your individual needs, but also towards your preferences. So, you know, what kind of music you like, what kind of instructors you enjoy working out with. So all these um, have really a lot of bearings. So if you choose Hatha yoga, maybe too draining for some, whilst yin yoga might be the most more appropriate option. So there, there are, you know, a wide range of options within yoga. So it's really hard to talk about yoga just as, a practice of sun salutation, you know, um, it's too wide a topic. <laughs> uh, so you, I, I would say you just have to find your own style um, for the purpose that you want to have it for. Uh, and the beauty of it is that once you learn the basic principles, you can then tailor it whichever way you want. So 
I've been trying to open my mind a little bit too, because the place where I've got my uh, Bowen Technique Clinic, uh, they run a variety of yoga practices, uh, Ashtangi, there's loads of them. There's about five or six different ones and, and Pilates classes as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you say, e- each one is different. So every time I, you know, when I've got a client and I go in, sometimes there's, you know, a woman called Nikki playing like a little organ and doing some breath work and doing some chanting, which from my personal perspective, I'm a very black and white person. I, I find it hard to engage with a little bit. <laughs> but then you've, yeah, got some I get other, that. Yeah, then you've got some other guys that just turn up and they just go through the flows and, you know, they, they, uh, yeah. they don't really go into, um, into like the, I guess, the holistic side of it, which the first yeah. class I ever went to, I actually couldn't stop laughing at the back of the class because the woman was really like into it. And yeah, it, it did float well with me, I don't think. That's exactly why a lot of people are being put off from yoga as well because of the mantras that they don't necessarily, you know, understand or understand the purpose of it. So it does, it, it can come across as a little bit, you know, shamanic-like. <laughs> so I absolutely understand that. So I, I probably... My first choice was vinyasa because of the fluidity and the flow and it just it was a little bit more energetic so for me it was something way more challenging than all the you know relaxation poses um so yeah <laughs> vinyasa and ashtanga would probably advise to all jiu-jitsu practitioners i find uh, general yoga practice a bit boring or static um yeah vinyasa will get you going <laughs> are you in a yoga instructor yourself Yes, I did a course. And actually, it wasn't until I did the course that I got to understand it a little bit more. Um, and it massively helped me with my own practice. So actually, if someone doesn't even consider teaching yoga, doing a teacher's course can be extreme, extremely helpful. Uh, and there's a bunch of good courses that are very affordable, uh, especially over COVID. There's been some online courses going on and you actually have amazing teachers teaching online. So not a hindrance to do an online course at all I've obviously it's not the same but um, you do learn the principles of anatomy or certain poses that you shouldn't be doing due to your injuries or problems that may be ongoing with me especially from jiu-jitsu so it's been extremely helpful and I'm really glad I've done it because now I can actually help clients and students to better tailor these sessions for for them so yeah big eye-opener for me to do the course I feel like I should do something like that just to just to broaden my horizons a little bit. But I feel that my uh, my leather hamstrings and lower back and glutes and that that I should be stretching every single day, which I don't. I'm one of those people that do what I say and not what I do, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's uh, absolutely fine. As long as, you know, it inspires you to do something for the body. And as soon as you see the benefits, you will want to do it. You have that intrinsic motivation um once you see the results it, you will want to do it every morning for 10 minutes because you will realize how good it feels in the body so i think that that was a changing point for me because i learned a lot of breath work as well a lot of stuff i had not done in regular yoga practices um that helped me massively even with breathing and jujitsu and combat sports it was a game changer for me so i took that bit as well um away from yoga and into my you know routine daily routine so uh, as well as being a, a, a yoga instructor, um, you're a black belt under, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Hodger Gracie. Is it Hodger or is it Roger? 
I, I never really depends which part of which part of the world you're in I guess in Brazil I believe it's pronounced Roger because of the first letter in Portuguese it's pronounced as huh. um for for people and maybe um in England that struggle to pronounce it it's easier to just say Roger I I never really understood that because you know you've got Hoist Gracie and Mm-hmm. Roll well, rolls is rollers, isn't it? But you know, all the all the eyes right. are like, ha. yeah. The h is the correct way to pronounce it in Portuguese, but then <clears throat> there's actually a reasoning behind why all these names start with the letter R, because it's phonetically very strong. So uh, when they are were naming fighters or potential fighters, future to be, uh, they wanted strong resonance. Uh, so phonetically, these names were designed to to appear. Or sound strong okay every day's a learning day right <laughs> it is <laughs> so as well as being a black belt in jiu-jitsu which we'll talk about um, a little bit later you've got a few other things going on as well so you teach self-defense uh you do nutritional plans you you do um you do some exercise planning as well. So it's all incorporated into uh, like a like one business model. Yes, I've tried quite a few and I found that a holistic approach works really best. So even when I work with a student, whether whether it's just for jujitsu, I don't like to focus solely on jujitsu, but they give them some tips and cues on how they can strengthen the body or how they can relax the body. Um, because as, as a jujitsu practitioner, you are aware that jujitsu on its own <laughs> not really going to you know be the the most healthy sport that he can choose so then he to incorporate other uh, other things into jiu-jitsu practice are extremely important um for longevity and for just general well-being so yeah and stretching and just regular strength training i believe they're part and parcel of, of any sport should be part of parcel of any sport especially combat sports is that one of the reasons why you started doing this is because, you know, you, you found that um, you had something to put back into the jujitsu uh, community through through your experiences. And that's why you went went along those lines. Exactly that. It was my personal experience that led me to that realization that it needs to be somehow incorporated. And if I'm not working one to one with a client, at least I will guide them towards, their, you know, the right solutions. Um where they can seek help and you know help themselves it's quite interesting because you've actually took a a big like change in direction with your life like i said i've done a little bit of research so you've got a master's degree in linguistics and psychology and also a degree in hospitality as well so is that where you originally started from and then you decided that you know what what made what made you change your mind to you know just get rid of that and, and go your own path uh, I wasn't sure when I was 19 what I wanted to do, so I, <laughs> but I love travel, <laughs> so I uh, enrolled on um, a BA course to do tourism and hospitality, um, and then after that I decided I want to do something else. <laughs> I went to study linguistics, uh, and once I graduated from linguistic, as I, I decided I would, didn't want to do it for life, <laughs> so I treated it more as a hobby, like most people, I think, um, that don't really stick with their great degrees and change change. Uh, their path so that's exactly what happens and jiu-jitsu is always kind of on the side like a hobby uh, that just happened to grow and uh, become part of my life and such a big part of my life I actually decided just to switch gears completely and and yeah just um, live and breathe the jiu-jitsu lifestyle 
Let's have a little bit of background from you then. So where did, where were you born and, and grew up and, and how did you get into martial arts itself? Mm. I grew up in Poland and this is where I actually started my martial arts journey. Um, started with kickboxing when I was a teenager and actually I was just on a search of the ultimate of the best fighting style. So I've done quite a bit of um, Krav Maga, Capoeira, all sorts of things just to find out which style was the one that was suited for me uh, because I didn't necessarily enjoy broken noses <laughs> or any like massive injuries like in Thai boxing I decided jiu-jitsu was the softest version uh, but yet a very effective one for me uh, to maintain for perhaps a little bit longer than other styles um, while I still enjoy other other styles like boxing or kickboxing I treat it as a hobby rather than as a competitive sport whereas jiu-jitsu was probably yeah, the safest also the most challenging in terms of the complexity of the sport itself. Um, I decided to stay with jiu-jitsu and I think when I was 19 or 20 I left and I came to the UK to train at the Hajjah Gracie Academy and it just happened to be that I overstayed for 15 years. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it isn't it so when when did you uh when did you actually start doing jiu-jitsu were you did you say 17 18 years old i think i was 19 so yeah how how would did you find the training environment because i can imagine you know jiu-jitsu you know that time ago now what how long you've been training for now like um for a while so yeah, it's been a while. Don't want to say it. <laughs> no, because it gives your age away then. <laughs> During the earlier days, particularly in the UK, um, I, I could imagine it was quite a, a male-heavy dominant practice, really. There weren't that really that many people doing jiu-jitsu. And, and you can imagine, especially when you look at the, the way the UFCs and MMAs developed over the last 10, 15 years with, with women's MMA especially, um, the grappling was, you know, like I said, quite quite male uh, dominated. So, how did you feel with that? And were there many girls training when you started? I actually never really had a problem with that. Um, I didn't find it intimidating in any way because um, most people were nice. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, my my introduction to jiu-jitsu was quite pleasant. I have to say, it wasn't scary. It wasn't a scary experience at all. I was lucky, I guess. Um, because I knew the instructor had a couple of friends around, so it wasn't that overwhelming for me. But um, yeah, definitely for, for some females, I felt like it was it was difficult to stay because they didn't necessarily have training partners. They, they were in their weight division and it was um, hard on their bodies as well. Um, so there was definitely a physical and psychological aspect. Uh, females not maybe lasting as long as majority of men in the sport. Um, but I think there's it's always going to be male dominated, um, but the the so the the ratio may be a little bit lifted towards like yeah more females in the sport, but I think because of the popularity itself, it's growing so fast so rapidly that just the numbers are going up both for males and females, um, and then hence that that's why we see so many females in the sport, which is amazing. Um, Back in the days, I had maybe one girl in the dojo with me. Right now, it's more like 50. <laughs> so it's crazy, depending on the gym, obviously. But you'll have a good 20 girls in, in the, you know, a decent-sized dojo, I guess. So that's that's a huge shift. 
here's a question for you. So back at, back in during that time, um, and you knew what you knew now. What would you advise to coaches? Like for instance, myself, I've I've just started um, a little academy that I that I want to grow uh, because, like I said, the, there's there's a distinct lack of um, grappling and, and jujitsu around where I live, especially sort of like a, a five to ten mile radius. That's where I've started something up. Um, what advice would you give to somebody like me who has just primarily got men coming through the door what how would you advise to try and get that so i get more women or or girls through the door as well Mm -hmm. i think there there are a couple of ways how you can attract more uh, female audience into the gym and one of them is definitely a female only designated classes whether it's jujitsu or self-defense where they have the the space to just train with other females um another way is organizing certain workshops and again it could be could be jujitsu, but more towards self-defense as well. And I, I feel feel that attracts a lot of women who don't necessarily want to start with grappling per se, but want to explore jujitsu also as, as a self-defense system. Um, but at the end of the day, as an instructor, I think you are in charge of what kind of clientele you're going to be attracting. And the most important factor is to make a very fun and safe environment in the gym. gym. Because once this happens, people naturally feel that vibe and will want to participate in the classes. So it's, it's what kind of people are training and how they are treating other women training is going to be crucial for them to, to want to be there. <laughs> but definitely ladies only classes are, are the way to go. I've been doing them pretty much everywhere and every gym I worked. Uh, and we had a big transition from girls just wanting to try it out than just doing regular ladies classes and actually then ending up in the mixed classes because they felt like it was a little bit too early for them to come and grapple wrestle with bigger people <laughs> with males uh so yeah let much less intimidating uh if once they started to feel more and more comfortable then they would transition so we had quite a few I've, I've seen quite a few women do that make that transition from ladies only to mixed classes and mixed mixed group i think there's been a, a massive explosion in in women's grappling and jiu-jitsu over the over the, the last five years you see a lot of the very high level guys now you know on things like ebi and, and polaris and um i've watched fion go through you know adcc and she did she did super well in 2019 unfortunately she she hurt her elbow in an armbar but i i think it's growing exponentially and it, it's really good to see and i can co- correlate and compare this to to women's surfing as well because i find watching women's competition uh, and sort of like the exhibition matches and women's surfing a lot more entertaining than males sometimes purely for the fact that it's a lot more fluid there's a little bit more technique involved it almost kind of takes away that strength element and then you're seeing all of those practices and those techniques that you know are coached in gyms and I think that's amazing to see really it's so interesting you should say that. I absolutely agree. Um, I didn't realize in surfing was the same case. <laughs> That's good to know, interesting to find out. Uh, but definitely, I think uh, females are, obviously, when they start they just to practice, they, are, uh, they have to learn more of a technique aspect of the sport to be able to survive in the environment. So, so naturally, they will be 
Uh, I think, gen again, generalizing a little bit probably, but yeah, they will use, they tend to use less sheer strength, but more uh, focus on mobility and technique. So that's why these mentors are probably a little bit more be perhaps more fast paced. Yeah, and more fluid, like you mentioned. I mean, you still get the matches like Mackenzie Dell and uh, and Gabby Garcia. I mean, I used to, I still love going watching. I'm, I'm watching, you know, the, uh, it's almost like a, like a Jack and the Beanstalk sort of esque situation there, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's great when you see things like that because it, it really kind of puts the, the art that you practice in into, uh, into reality, so to speak, because you know yourself you, you get taught especially from the graces that the idea of jiu-jitsu is a smaller weaker person is supposed to be able to use leverage and and technique to overcome a larger stronger opponent and and i think when you see that spectacle actually in front of you on a screen or, or in person during competition i think it puts it all into perspective Absolutely. This was actually one of my favorite matches of all times. <laughs> it does put things into perspective. So for anyone listening that hasn't, if you haven't watched it, please watch that fight. <laughs> so how are you finding coaching and teaching at uh, Hodges Place? In, it's Richmond, isn't it? Uh, at the moment, uh, yes, I am predominantly based in Richmond at a club called Elevate, which used to be part of Hodge Greasy Academy. Um, and we, yeah, we have a lot of females as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm really particularly interested in obviously attracting uh, more and more females into the sport through my classes, but I, I teach mixed classes as well. So I find it also extremely empowering to be able as a female to teach, you know, male students because it doesn't happen in every gym. <laughs> so it is, it is very empowering, not just for myself, but for other people to you know, to, to see that, because I think it's important to be able to show that, you know, women can teach as well. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been going really well. Um, now that we out of COVID and we can back to training, um, starting to, to train for competition, try, starting to build the team. So it's been going really well. Thank you. Well, you, you kind of built a name for yourself through competition and you won the worlds in 2017 as, as a brown belt um how did you find the preparation for for that and did did you go to the world you know with a team that that helped you along as well yes for me it's it's crucial to have a team behind me uh i find it extremely helpful i know not everyone needs that type of a support I do <laughs> I certainly feel better if I have my support team and my coach in the corner so that was one aspect of that that really mattered and I think made a difference and the second aspect uh, actually that made probably the biggest difference as well in terms of my physical preparation was just quitting my corporate job and training two months non-stop just focusing solely on training nutrition physiotherapy to treat my injuries um, and I knew that if I if I don't do it my the likelihood of winning and the, the chances of winning you know are, are not going to be as high so <clears throat> yeah I just um you know <laughs> decided to go crazy and and take a leap of faith um so that's what I did and it worked how do you find when you're in competition with coaches shouting from the from the sidelines so I've, I've done a few competitions and, and my and my uh, my daughter has been training now for about four or five years and 
whenever I go to competitions and, and I hear them on the side, I almost find it's almost American-esque where you see the dad shouting at the kids on the football field, like screaming at them and then going after the referees and stuff. I, I find it a little bit, <laughs> a little bit over the top. And plus the fact, uh, I mean, this is from my perspective anyways, that if your coach is telling you what to do and how to get out of something, you're telling the other person what you're doing as well. So I never really got it, if I'm honest. Um, I don't necessarily see it from the same perspective. For me, it's it's um, it's empowering because I feel it's like a transfer of energy from my teammates and in, into the maybe kind of more of a mental aspect that it, it does translate into how I then um, push myself through the, that mental barrier. If I'm in a bad position and I can hear them shouting, it's almost like it gives me some extra energy and extra wish to fight for for that for that goal. So for me, it, it, again, maybe it's a placebo effect. I'm not quite sure, but it does give me that extra energy, that extra push to go the, the extra mile um, and to do what is required of me. <clears throat> and yes, I know what you mean in terms of the other person overhearing what your coach is telling you to do, but I don't think it has always massive impact on how they're going to react uh, because <clears throat> sometimes irrespectively of what they do, they are still going to find themselves in the disadvantages position after my let's say leg over or hand hand under uh, whatever that is I'm changing so I, I do like to have coaches telling me what to do during the fights um, sometimes I believe in um, in that desire to when you can some, somehow forget what to do or you freeze for a second and so that voice is necessary then to guide you further and tell you hey, don't risk that, or hey, can you just pause for a moment um, to be a little bit safer because they're in charge of the time. So they know how many minutes I've got left. They know how much more I can do or how many more positions I can go into. And they just weigh the odds would be the better solution for me as an athlete, whether I should go for submission, whether I should try to do a takedown or score some points. So in, in that way, I have a more of an um, idea what's going on in, within the match because I usually have a different perspective. Sometimes I feel like I'm winning, which I'm not. So, so then they will tell me off and tell me you're losing on points. You have to, you have to score the, uh, another two or four. So no, for me, for me, I, I need it and it's helpful. Um, but again, it's an individual thing. So yeah. <laughs> what do you do to prepare yourself to go into a, a competition? Uh, Cause you know, some people, you know, sit themselves back and they stick their headphones on and, and, and listen to some thrash metal or something like that. I don't know. They could be listening to Enya or something like that. I don't really know. Um, or, or motivational, um, you know, tracks. What do you do personally to, to get yourself into the mind frame before you compete? Yeah, I think, again, this is something very individual. So for, for me, yes, I do listen to music and I do try to listen to music, which is energizing, but at the same time relaxing. So something upbeat, but not maybe not too heavy. I believe that stress and the element of stress drains the energy. So I like to listen to music I'd normally dance to. Um, so get into the dancing move that really feels flowy, but it doesn't take the energy out of me. So yeah, something like Latin dance music <laughs> would, would do for me. But again, it's completely individual, I think. Um, what is important is to listen to music that makes you want to go and fight um, and maybe gives you that like an extra boost. Um, 
but then I also like to do some breath work before competition because <clears throat> I think at every, at one stage you will start to feel the butterflies, um, whether you call it anxiety or excitement, which are very similar feelings. <laughs> uh, you will feel it uh, at one point. So when that happens, again, not to use the energy, not to drain the energy of the system. I, I use breath work to calm the nervous system down a little bit. You mentioned, I'm going back a little bit now. You, you mentioned earlier that you left the corporate world to, to follow your jujitsu path and, uh, and your personal training path. How did you find that transition going from, uh, you know, a job that I could imagine was quite well paid um, to actually doing going into something that was really kind of I can imagine was a bit a bit of a risk to to follow what you wanted to do how did you find that oh very interesting question um I found it scary but at the same time I had that calling so to say that I wanted to pursue the dream so much that money didn't matter in that moment and Thankfully, I didn't have responsibilities at the time um, that allowed me to make that transition and risk and take that risk. So for me, it wasn't a matter of money. I actually lost all my savings during the transition <laughs> and had to rebuild it uh, from scratch pretty much, uh, which took a few years <laughs> to do. But um, I still wouldn't train it for anything in the world. I think... Um, being guided by a passion that is lifelong is in the long term serves better than pursuing something that you can be good at, but not necessarily like your biggest life passion. So I, yeah, I traded passion for money in a way. Um, I do believe though, if you, if you, if you, if you are <clears throat> guided from that internal feeling that this is the right path, eventually, you know, the pieces of the puzzles will come together or the dots will come together and actually you will be able to, to earn money, maybe if not bigger than in your previous previous job. So it's, it's I think it's doable. Um, <clears throat> it's just taking that initial leap. Talking about the, the similar lines, moving from Poland to England must have been a, a, a bit of a cultural uh, experience for you uh, also. It was. And I would imagine after 15 years, Forward, fast forward, I find difficult to transition back. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Do you still have? It's very uh, culturally do, different. Do you still have family over in Poland? I do. So I, I find it difficult to mingle between the two countries because, yeah, it's culturally very, very different. Um, so obviously, fifteen years is not a short time, and I think because I've been obviously working for British companies, and you know, I have a lot of uh, English friends. Um, it, you, you kind of kind of tend to be like a sponge, just like taking everything in culturally or traditionally or not. And so you kind of become like part of that culture in a way. And then if you want to transition yourself back, I find it like it's almost like outdated <laughs> for me. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, I actually forgot what the question was. <laughs> that was the transition. No, that have. was cool. Yeah. I, I'm actually, I'm going to do a bit of an Americanism here. I'm actually a quarter Polish. So my granddad uh, was was from Poland and he, uh, he came over to the UK during the Second World War and met my nan. So I've got some Polish blood, I guess, in me. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds 
sounds like it. And you pronounced my name perfectly, so <laughs> there's got to be something to it. I don't know. I've I've got a horrible Birmingham accent still, mixed with with Devon, so it's half farmer, half Midlander. So I I, I don't know what that's going to be. Uh, in translation to doing other languages i can i can barely speak english let alone anything else i think it's a matter of motivation giving the motivation everyone can learn it's you know i always feel like native english speakers are spoiled to have their language spoken all over the world pretty much so there's not much incentive in terms of learning foreign languages I th i've always found it quite interesting uh, and uh, I've read a few books on on language as well that uh, as as English people or Americans even because you're kind of the it's the dominant dialect spoken taught in schools mm -hmm. that when you go to other countries you almost expect people to speak the same language as you do and when you don't you like it's not the social norm and you don't really know what to do with yourself so you end up either speaking slow or just shouting and they still don't know what you're saying anyway <laughs> languages languages are one of those things that i've never I've, I've never really embraced i you know i did the classic thing i i spoke um I did, I did french classes at school and i've tried to speak a bit of portuguese when i go surfing in portugal or you know a little bit of moroccan when i go there but I always just sound like a typical Brit that's just abroad and you just sound like an utter idiot when you're doing it. <laughs> oh, I, I've had some stories from Morocco. I wasn't able to communicate. I had my A-levels in French and completely forgotten it. Couldn't speak a word of Arabic. My French wasn't good enough to communicate. So I couldn't even get a taxi to the hotel where I was staying. <laughs> I actually thought I would stay at the airport and never make it to the surf hotel. <laughs> So it's always the way, isn't you're it? not the only one. <laughs> I'd like to sort of change the subject a little bit. And when we first started talking back in September, it was kind of the subject um, that was that was the head of jujitsu, especially in the UK, and that was the um, it was the situation with Jackson Souza and uh, and Sam Cook that came out and. You know, we've talked a little bit about you know women in in uh, in jujitsu gyms and and academies. How do you how do you still feel about that now? It's it, it's developed and it's kind of like not gone under the radar a little bit, but it's it, it was talked about for like two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. um, it it kind of just disappeared. You know, how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I feel the same way. I, I felt like it, it has been ongoing. I mean, that the topic itself has been taken on a board by various gyms. And actually there've been some policies that both Roger and um, owners at Elevate implemented into the gym. So for example, there are some safeguarding policies now in place where there are people appointed to be the first point of contact if anything um, is going on in the gym, um, especially for the female for female students. They're especially encouraged to speak out with, when situations happen that they feel uncomfortable with. Um, so they have someone to talk to, someone you know, sometimes some someone from the management team that would then assist them and to maybe just see the case and um, take it from there. So there's definitely. Uh, I personally have seen changes in the gyms. So there's been a lot of discussions, especially from, from the instructor's perspective, 
So we had that discussion in every gym that I worked at to make sure that, you know, everyone feels protected and safe. So <clears throat> it's been a narrator. I don't think it's disappeared. This topic is still ongoing. Uh, there are certain groups as well um, that are actually bringing these topics back and discussing it in more depth. I'm not sure if, you, if you're following, but so, some jujitsu female groups are also putting a lot of posts about, about incidents and trying to expose it to the bigger audience. So these topics do not go unmissed. So that I don't think that the movement necessarily stopped. Uh, I think maybe there hasn't been any cases recently um, to talk about, but if anything comes out that this, this is bringing brought back to daylight. So um, I, I saw, I see a, a good development um, in, in that, in the sense where, where females are more looked after in the gyms, at least the ones where I work. So um, we, I think we as instructors, we have the responsibility to, to make sure that these policies are in place. So it's up to the individual gyms to implement these strategies, you know, to protect the vulnerable kids, females. In, in regard to the, the sexual harassment, have you ever experienced it yourself? I mean, I've been training what nearly well nine years now, and uh, and the gyms that I've trained in have I've never re I've never really seen seen it or or experienced it. Uh, would you say it, it's kind of like a, a low percentage infrequent experience, or is it done? Do you think behind closed doors? Yes, I think it does happen. I think the problem isn't necessarily with um, how often, but what do the how are the females responding? Um, I yes, I have experienced that myself, and I was too young to respond in, the, in the, an appropriate way, so I didn't make a big deal out of it. I actually just said to one person, "All oh, this happened," but I said it in a way that didn't really sound um, dramatic, which I guess. I, sh I shouldn't have I should have made a big deal out of it because it was a big deal actually at, at that time because it was it almost put me off training um if it had you know if it happened a bit later in my life maybe in my 20s or 30s I probably would have reacted differently uh so I think the most important the most important thing for us as instructors is to make sure that these females are being given voices that are not being disregarded and because I didn't probably feel I have someone to talk to at that moment in time uh, I feel scared and embarrassed to talk about it. I mean, again, I, I'm talking from an outsider looking in, really. Do you think this is more more frequent, sort of like, you know, a few years ago when jiu-jitsu hasn't been so popular and, like you say, you've got, you know, 50-plus uh, women training where you are now? I, I don't mean this to sound in a bad way, but it's harder to get away with now because yes, there's, there's so many eyes looking in, yes. so many people together and... Uh, and sexual harassment and equality, equality and diversity is definitely on people's forefronted minds as well, especially with the evolution of generations and people's perceptions are changing as well. I think you're right. This is also my impression and um, my observation throughout the years. It was, it was much easier for a situation like this to just not see daylight because these people wouldn't report it. Um, but now, since we have so many females training together, these voices are louder. And so we feel more empowered also as a group because there are so many females training, we can talk about it. And then we can inspire each other to, to talk about it openly and share it on social media so that it's more, more exposure. So people are definitely, I, I, I mean, that's my hope, but this is also my observation that this is more, um, 
yeah, more transparent. When people talk about uh, women empowerment, what's your perspective on that? Is it them having the having a, have more of a voice? Is it being more in the public eye so that, that you know becoming a public figure a little bit like yourself? You know, you're in the forefront of the public eye every now and again, uh, and you, you're on the platform where you can put your opinions across and people can you know relate to that or not. You know, how do you how do you see what women empowerment is? I think it's all of these that you mentioned, um, and probably for me personally, um, having grown up in um, in a society that doesn't didn't always approve of you know the female voice. Perhaps it was also about getting taking away that good girl I call it good girl conditioning, and just being assertive enough to speak your own truth rather than n- trying not to be rude because. A lot of the times females feel like, I think especially in females, we do do never never want to come across as aggressive or rude. And therefore we sometimes undermine the situations or what's happening to us. And we choose not to speak where it would be advisable to do so. Um, that also pertains to the self-defense scenarios I talk about a lot in the workshops and how assertiveness and the escalation itself can play a major role in avoiding conflict altogether rather than going into physical battle with someone. Um, so I, I always try to, to teach females and make them understand that the way they react and they, the way they create their boundaries, it, it's crucial um, in, in a way that it can actually, you know, take them away from, from danger or from conflict. So uh, I think it's, it's in, the, in something in, in that social environment that we, um, we wanted to abide by that let's say a rule that we have to always play accordingly, never, never judge, never be the, the fighters to accuse anyone of anything. <clears throat> I think this is within our power. So when I talk about women empowerment, it's talking about giving ourselves the voice. Yes, not just to speak out, uh, but also to feel confident enough to speak out publicly about these things. I feel definitely having having a daughter that it, it's changed my perspective on things a, a lot more, and I, I almost feel I mean, you know, even with even with schools, boys and girls are, are very different in their social interactions. You know how how boys and men interact with each other and how women interact with each other. You know the brain chemistry and all that sort of thing is even though physiologically we're the same chemically and and mentally the way that the we think is quite different as well and it's not one of my worries but it's all kind of on the back of my on the back of my brain very much you know how my daughter is going to react to situations and 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 social pressures you know in the future and definitely now that both sexes and uh, equality between sexes and nationalities you know different races are definitely aligning a lot more i i think perspectives and perceptions are changing a lot more for the to be positive and also you know the the ability to be able to get help and ask for help and talk about things it is a lot more on the forefront of people's mind especially with mental health these days i think that there's a lot more benefits for her growing up than probably what you know what we had i agree i agree also, what he said about genetical dif- genetic differences, that's one, but also the social conditioning is the second factor, which is perhaps from my perspective, even greater than the genetical differences, because there's so much of the conditioning that you can change and 
I don't want to say reprogram, but yeah, just, let's just uh, stick with the word change because effectively what you're doing, if you sign up a child to say a jujitsu class, you will see the transformation within months. Most of the time I used to teach kids and I saw that from the shyest person in a group, you'd see the most outgoing within a year of training, for example, that's depending on the age group, but you will see a massive transition in how they behave, how they relate with to others, how they feel empowered and confident, um, assertive, and it's just a bunch of whole things that you know, you know that you can change. It's within the, our power as as caretakers, teachers, to be able to to change that narrative from oh, you know, you you shouldn't say anything, you just stay in a corner and stay quiet, but into into something that will give them voice and they won't be um, scared to talk. So definitely, that that aspect is also important to mention and. I've seen it happen, so I know it's it's viable. It's it's possible to change it. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most. Is uh, I'm I'm going on a on a surfing trip uh, mid March, and when I get back, I'm I'm opening my classes up to to children as well for different different age groups. And I definitely see the the transition where where my daughter trains at the moment, and her and and, and her confidence levels are through the roof. Um, unfortunately, she's in a school with a lot of alpha females, so. You know that they bounce off each other <laughs> quite quite heavily, but um, I, I'm definitely going to be interested in to see how 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 the kids change from you know when they come and start to to how they how how they progress. It's it's uh, it, it's something interesting for me, and I really enjoy the 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 cognitive relationships and and how people change through doing something like this i mean what's your what's your view on having something like jiu-jitsu introduced into schools i think it would be one of the best things either self-defense or jiu-jitsu there's something specifically interesting about jiu-jitsu itself because perhaps because of physical close physical contact and i think this is something ingrained in humans and we kind of strayed away from it uh, in today's world we used to live in communities where people would hug and dance a lot right now unless you're a dancer, you don't want to necessarily engage in physical, much physical contact with strangers or even people close within your community. So it does give you like a hormonal, hormonal boost because of the oxytocin as well, but also feeling as part of a community. So you feel physical and mental closeness to these people you're interacting with. So essentially, I, I think that it has major, major health benefits, not just mental, not just physical, but also psychological. Um, and you've seen it and you've seen it in your daughter. I'm sure you'll see it in more kids that you are about to teach um, that they will change the behavioral patterns, but also the way they think will change. I think it will be an amazing idea to do that. Uh, UAE have done it already. And they have uh, really great groups of kids training there. Um, <clears throat> as far as I'm aware, it's mandatory for boys and it's um, optional for girls. So something like this could be definitely implemented in, in, in the UK or anywhere, really. Um, and I think huge benefits would come from it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see if I could try and develop something like that. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in that situation in my life now where I'm transitioning out of the military and I'm coming in to be what, what I keep calling a normal person, a civilian, a normal person. I don't know. And uh, I've got lots of these little ideas that are in my head that are firing off. And I'm just like, how do I do this? How do I do that? But I think sometimes I'm just trying to do too much too soon. And it's kind of a little bit overwhelming, you know. I can relate. Well, taking small steps is definitely going to help. But starting sooner later than later is good as well. A lot of people um, are scared of starting to teach because they feel like they don't have enough experience. And I feel like there's no good or bad 
moment to start. Just starting sooner is always going to be beneficial for both you and your students because you then will acquire those skills. So starting as early as you can, it's a good idea as well. Yeah, I feel I'm quite been, been quite lucky, really, because I, from my job in the Marines, I, I've, um, I was a physical training instructor. So one of my jobs is coaching, uh, mentoring, as well as keeping people fit. Um, and for the probably the last five or six years, I've been coaching jujitsu's and whatever gyms I've been running. So um, it seemed a little bit daft when I decided what, you know, when I was leaving and someone just said to me, you're a good coach. Why don't you coach? And I was like, do you know what? I am. And then, you know, within <laughs> two weeks, I was looking at shop fronts. I was looking at units to like get all matted areas out. And they're like, no, 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 no. start small first get people turning up and then then build it from there i was already thinking about building like seven thousand square feet of academies and yeah i was nowhere near that yet <laughs> it's true having that vision though shouldn't you know hinder you from starting small so the vision will come to fruition when the time is right but starting small is definitely the way to go as well if you don't have the space and it will when i look from like uh, from that perspective of 15 years ago when I first came here and I'm just zooming out to where I am now, like I never imagined I would get here where I would have 50 females training in one gym. It was unimaginable. I, I never believed that would happen. So it was beyond my vision. So that's one of the things that can actually surprise people the most is they have a vision, but actually what they start doing can actually become much bigger than what they think. So. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's the dream, I guess you could say, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about MMA. So I, I know that you've had, what, one or two MMA fights. How come you didn't continue with it? Oh, God, it was a very long time ago, and it was one of my crazy projects. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted, always wanted to try it out, and so I did. But I didn't feel that it was a passion I wanted to pursue, predominantly because of injuries, the risk of injuries. And I just felt like I want to be a healthy human till the end of my life, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, that damage, just physical damage didn't seem too exciting for me. At the, at the time, it wasn't well paid, so it didn't make much financial sense at all. Uh, but it was exciting to try it out. I don't regret it. I had a great time. Um, so that was, it was very short-lived, really. <laughs> When I was uh, when I was trying to research and trying to find videos of you doing it, I only came up with Joanna John Jacek, and I was like, "No, I don't want that one. I want the <laughs> Joanna that's going to be on my podcast." <laughs> Where do you see jujitsu going in the future? You know, we talked a little bit about the the growth of it, but it is like one of the fastest growing sports in the world at the moment. You know, a, a lot of people want to get involved. There seems to be a lot of white belts and blue belts early purple belts but the the higher ranks especially where i am um you know they're far and few between so where, where do you where do you see jiu-jitsu going at the moment no i i believe it will keep growing the way it is um i think everyone's starting to realize the benefits that it uh, jiu-jitsu has and so <clears throat> there will be more and more black belts in the country i mean Comparing to, I'll just give you an example to maybe try to picture what the differences was 15 years ago when I first started. My, my teacher was a white belt. Uh, we, the highest belt in the country was a purple belt. And we had Roy Harris come from California to do seminars in Poland. 
So literally nobody had a clue what jujitsu was. People were trying to learn from each other and from YouTube videos or those pride cassettes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we hadn't had clues. So that's that, that's why I was partially why I expatriated. Now, when you look at Polish competitors, they're one of the best in the world with hundreds and hundreds of black belts. You, you get black belts in every city pretty much right now teaching, even in small villages, you'll have either brown or purple belts teaching at least. So that exponential growth, you will see it everywhere, I believe, not, not just in Poland, um, but pretty much in every country that has taken jiu-jitsu on boards. And I see it coming to the UK in the same way. Um, so yeah, watch this space, it will get bigger. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you may be surprised where you get in years' time. Well, I've been, I've been trying to spread the word because I live in like a, a little Devonshire village um next to the uh, the accessory uh, going into the channel and i put a load of posters up and i'm trying to trying to push that jujitsu is for everybody and i've come up to the old the old cliche of trying to explain to people what it is and you know like people are saying oh, i used to do karate and taekwondo and you know trying to explain it's a bit like judo where you take people to the ground and then you're doing ground fighting with some submissions and stuff. They kind of look at you and they go, nah, that just sounds a bit too violent for me. And I'm like, does it, I'm really not doing it justice here. I should have like uh, the one liner that you put down there to try and explain it to people. What would your one liner be? Well, I think what you said at the beginning is very much on point where you're talking about the gentle art. So the smaller person being able to tackle a bigger opponent using leverage and chokeholds is the most, well, for me, at least from a female perspective, it's very appropriate because it gives uh, gives anyone the idea that there is something you can do without you know killing each other or inspiring. Uh, but also... Um, I, I always refer to jiu-jitsu as human chess because it's very challenging and not just physically, well, obviously physicality is part of it, but also in the way that jujitsu is in an endless fashion, you keep learning. So there's never an end to the amount of techniques you can do to the change to the different positions you can do. And it's constantly developing and it's something that is most fascinating. And when I say it, when I, when I explain like that to females, they, they're very intrigued. <laughs> And that you have to strategize in order to you know have to have some options in the fight and that yeah, you have to use your your brain not just the body like it like it what are your goals for the future you you uh you expressed earlier that you were looking to compete again um you know have, have you got any sort of long-term short-term goals that you're looking to do i do i think competition is going to be, to be on my agenda but more like a hobby uh, I'm currently focusing on organizing jiu-jitsu and yoga retreats. Um, so this is the biggest one probably for me this year. Um, going to organize retreats in Tenerife and in the UK. Uh, and again, combining that holistic approach really towards training. So a bit of relaxation, breathing, and jiu-jitsu. Um, but also the second, the second part of what I'm going to do this year is focusing more on the self-defense aspect as well. So I've been delivering workshops um, to companies, to schools, um, and I'm just actually um, learning more about psychology of self-defense and really diving more into the topic to be able to help others also and build, build a course, um, bigger course in, in that area as well. So these are two areas of focus for this year. 
anything else might come up i don't know <laughs> but that's that's uh that's my plan at least beautiful well joanna i'd like to finish the podcast off and i've not done this before with people that i talk to jujitsu about so that you're going to be the test pilot so i want to do a, a quick fire round see how this goes so the first question is and what what is your favorite hierarchy position back takes your best sweep flower sweep pendulum sweep or helicopter sweep there are different names to it like you say there's no single way that you can do things there's no single name for things either <laughs> correct correct your favorite submission armbar gi or no gi oh that is a hard question to answer but it's at at this moment in time, it's going to be no gi. Talking about competitions, submission only or time limit and points? Submission only. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And uh, I've really enjoyed your stories and your perspectives. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks. And that's it. If you like the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and leave a little review on Apple Podcasts if you listen to it there. Thanks for listening.